0: So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat, and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, it's a slightly grim one. Picture this guys, you are sailing around on the very calm waters of prosperity and your financial assets, your financial position looks really good. You've had years of stability and growth and then suddenly on the horizon, you can see dark clouds forming. You can see the ever looming specter of recession, but it's getting closer and closer. And suddenly you recognize that even the stern of financial ships can be completely capsized with a tsunami of bad economic conditions. So what I wanna do today is show you some insights onto how to batten down the hatches so that you can take defensive actions and move yourself forward even when the economic winds are against you. What I would like to start off by sharing with you is some insights into why I think right now is a time in history to pay particular attention to what you're hearing, what you're seeing. And in spite of all of that, take some fairly hefty action towards positioning yourself in a defensive way. The questions that I've been sort of contemplating is, are we in fact on the brink of a categoric recession? Who is the person deciding if we're in recession or not and isn't here already? Why does it feel like it is? Why are there so many people suffering? I had a friend who was very close to retirement and decided at the end of 21, it would have been to purchase a house. She had some skills, her and her husband had some skills around renovating. They bought a house, they were going to do a simple reno and then within four to five months, they were going to flip it back onto the market and they were hoping that profit that they were going to make was going to tip into their retirement fund and get them over the finish line. Instead, what happened was they bought at the top of the market four or five months later when they went to put it on the market and they were working their butts off to get this property in just pristine condition. It was a beautiful home by the time they finished with it. The market had corrected and they lost money on it. the reason I'm telling you this story is I am hearing more and more people facing challenges like that who are in an enormous amount of pain, who overextended themselves and bought at the top of the market during the COVID years and then find themselves with triple repayments on their mortgages in a world of hurt. And they don't have that safety cushion that maybe investors who've been investing for longer, like 10, 20 years, 30 years like me um, have. And so they're, they're really looking down the barrel of some pretty painful decisions. If I go back to my first question, which was, how do you even know a recession is happening? I think this is a really important one for people to understand. On the face of it, it seems like a super easy question to answer. And in a nutshell, a recession is a situation where something goes really wrong in the economy. But the big problem with the definition of a recession, it is measuring after the event. So it is a lag measure. So you're looking back and saying, well, you know, how have we gone and therefore we must be in recession? And the big problem with this is by the time the data comes in, by the time it's measured and then processed and published, we're already knee deep in it. Economists are really up in arms right now. There's lots of people with very conflicting opinions talking about the relationship between jobs and wages and inflation and unemployment. What that means is we're going to actually have to wait till almost September, which is just for those who aren't consciously listening to this, where I'm producing it, another three to four months into the future. Before or we can actually say categorically that, you know, we're in the midst of a downturn. Now you will already be hearing about businesses closing down. I, I ran a session for my clients a, a couple of weeks ago and we were looking at what are the ripple effects that maybe you haven't considered with all of the construction and building companies that are going bankrupt right now. The impact on people who are midstream with building their home, projects which will be abandoned, valuations on projects which are just falling short, meaning that real people are losing their money. Lenders are having to kind of start to face the reality that there are going to be a lot of foreclosures. Now, I'll tell you a funny story here. I had a meeting with my business banker about a month ago. Some of you may be aware we're um, midstream on a construction project right now. And for various reasons, it's a very complex project. It's been a difficult site. Things have just moved more slowly than anyone expected. The bank manager, who never comes to see me, me ordinarily. I was thinking, oh, I wonder wonder why they're coming out to see me. And essentially all he wanted to know was, is everything okay? Because they are starting, it sounds like, to get a book of developers, some experienced, some not so experienced, who are starting to go bad on deals because they mistimed the market. They were banking on the sale at a certain price and now suddenly they're underwater. So he came to see me and I was able to reassure him, no, we're all fine. But that's certainly not the case for a vast majority of people right now. Going back to the question, like how do we know that we're in recession? In the US, they actually have set up an organisation called the NBER, which is the National Bureau of Economic Research. Their job is, or part of their mandate, is to actually be the body that officially declares that a recession has begun and then officially declare that it's over. But for example, we don't have the equivalent body in Australia and many countries, I would hazard a guess, would be in a similar position. So, you know, it falls to the shoulders of regulators to declare and not declare when recessions happen. And the big problem with all of that, and, you know, I know this sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory, but the problem with recessions is that the way they measure them, the data that gets included and excluded can actually be a bit of a moving target. I know some of you may have heard the idea that even in terms of measuring inflation or measuring CPI, that they keep changing the basket of goods. Certainly, we, we do have to be Conscious that there are so many sources of data. So, even with the best of intentions, measuring the GDP accurately is an absolute minefield of an exercise. We understand, or many people understand, that the technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. That can be caused by economic shocks, financial panic, rapid changes in economic expectations, various other things, and combinations of all of those things. What are people saying right now? Very controversially, Deloitte Access Economics created headlines because they came out with a definitive prediction for a consumer recession in 2023. And, you know, claiming that, say, for example, here in Australia, that New South Wales and Victoria would be hardest hit, which probably isn't surprising. But the reason I'm pre-framing this with a bit of doom and gloom, unfortunately, is that hearing headlines that things are certainly difficult, but I would also say we're not really getting a... A accurate picture of where we are. There was a diagram that put up in my last event, which really talked about the cycle of market emotions. And it's quite a humorous take on where people are and how they feel at different points of the cycle. You know, we started optimism, then we get to excitement, then we're thrilled, then we're euphoric. As we saw at the beginning of last year, there was a move towards anxiety as inflationary data started to come out. Then we went into denial you know, as interest straight hikes proceeded. We started to get a little fearful. I think we are somewhere between desperation and panic right now. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm watching headlines. I'm watching what is happening in the real estate market in terms of where is the stock that is coming to the mark coming from. And there's certainly a lot of distressed sellers. And when I say distressed sellers, it's basically people who have decided that they can no longer afford that investment property, or they can no longer afford The luxury house that they have or the holiday house. It's not so much that we've hit panic yet, but we're certainly moving towards a market, it would appear, where panic is starting to rise for some people. And obviously, you know, according to this diagram, we'll have capitulation, then total despondency. We might have a little bit of depression. And then after that, when the seeds of hope come through, we'll move back towards relief and then, you know, optimism again. So the thing that we need to have in the back of our minds, and I have talked about, this in the past. If we're aware that the cycle of market emotions is real and that the vast majority of investors will adhere to that, then the best thing that we can do is put ourselves in a position where we we observe. It's hard not to get caught up in those emotions, especially when you start reading newspapers and headlines. But if we can at least intellectually kind of understand that that is what is happening in the market and then see how we can position ourselves to avoid being those people, then we're going to put ourselves in a good position I'll give you the best example of this in my own world. During the boom of 2021, 22, the current market, I was very conscious of not buying a whole lot. I stuck with predominantly my alternative real estate investments because I was interested predominantly in cash flow. I didn't care so much about trying to scale my net worth. I felt like I had a comfortable asset base. You know, I certainly felt like I owned enough property, but I watched with interest as people told me I was leaving good money on the table. I had a lot of people saying, Selena, you've know, you got this borrowing capacity, use it, jump in. And what I felt when I looked at the market was I could smell a rat. I could smell something didn't feel right. I felt like everyone was suddenly cashed up after all the dole outs during COVID and people were kind of ready to spend money. The feeling of abundance and just this can go on and on just was everywhere. And I saw people paying damn money for properties. I saw spruikers and pundits like jumping on the gravy train and just saying, buy, 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 buy. This is just the best time to be making money. And I was also really conscious that there were a lot of 1st homeowners who were buying top dollar homes and thinking, well, we can afford this because interest rates are really low. The reason I'm sharing all of that with you is I think it's really important to kind of understand that when things seem too rosy, you also have to approach it with a healthy dose of of skepticism and there's a couple of graphs that I will share with you and look this was a chart put out by the RBA. What they're doing is predicting what is going to happen to inflation from where we are in 2023 and their forecast is that inflation is actually going to get worse before it gets better which is a really interesting idea. With all of that in mind I think it's really important to think about where are we going and what can we do about it? There are a number of ideas which I've shared across a bunch of different podcasts, but I want to really pull it together because if you haven't already started to prepare a defense against dark clouds on the horizon, which are getting closer and closer and there's like bolts of lightning coming out of it, heavy rain, hail, now more than ever is the time to be really kind of doubling down. So I want to give you some examples of things that you could be thinking about. And I've got seven key points here bear with me. The first and most obvious insights around preparation, keeping enough cash reserves. I think it's very normal for many investors to want to redline their finances a little bit in order to ratchet themselves into that next level of wealth. And what that means is that you're constantly feeling like money burns a hole in your pocket. You're looking for that next investment, that opportunity. And I can say to you, I have done plenty of that. One of the things that happened when I think it was March 2020, when we first heard about COVID and there was this small gap, this Small window of time where clearly everything was, you know, the wheels were falling off everything, but no support had at that point been announced by the government. And my husband and I were sitting down between us and thinking, oh my God, how are we going to support payroll for all these people during the next three, four months while this sorts itself out? How are we going to manage the business expenses, the rents, everything? It all just like seemed like this crazy. And the big takeaway from that, from me, that my level, of comfort around the cash reserves that we were keeping just wasn't enough. One of the things that I want to challenge you on is there are really silly rules of thumb out there, like keep three months worth of living expenses as cash reserves. And it's not that that's a bad rule of thumb from the space of it's better than zero. But I think what you need to do if you are really genuinely trying to weather a very bad storm, that you are trying to hold on to the assets that you have, assuming that you've got assets that you want to keep, that you need to be keeping cash reserves that will carry you through an extended period of poor performance or even you know terrible performance. So the idea of thinking about only your living expenses and assuming that market conditions will remain in a bit of a vacuum and remain stable, I think is a little naive and needs to be reconsidered. This idea of cash reserves could be about incorporating some sensitivity analysis into what you're doing. And I'll give you an example. All those people who bought properties over the last say three years at top dollar, who locked in interest rates at one point nine percent and who are facing a trebling of repayments now that interest rates have reset, I would have been in the position of you know sensitivity analysis on my repayments. So one of the things that I think all new homeowners need to ask themselves is if interest rate were to maybe not double but you know go up two, three, four percent from where they are today, could I still Afford to stay in this house? Could I still afford to keep this house? And why I believe cash reserves need to be looked at by everyone again is there's so much conversation and speculation going on that interest rates have to come down. I think the reality is that we're not even at the 100-year average, which has been close to seven percent. To think that the low interest rates that we've enjoyed for the last decade are the norm, so therefore that's what it has to go back to. I think is also a little bit naive. I don't know that we can bank on that and. I think that a better defense right now is to keep cash reserves at a level which actually gives you a much better sleep at night factor. Again, I understand the trade-off is that by holding bigger cash reserves, you're not investing that money. But I pointed this out to someone I spoke to this last week that came to see me that had a reasonable lump sum that they had accumulated from selling the one investment property they had. And they were desperate to invest that. They were looking at all sorts of really risky and investments, particularly in the crypto world, they had this huge mortgage and I, and I said, well, just for now, why don't you just apply that to your offset account or put it against your mortgage just to take a little bit of pressure off yourselves and reduce that risk. And they were kind of so romantically attached to the idea of investing in something that was going to yield them a high income that they completely overlooked the fact that even by holding that money in an offset, it was essentially going to be earning them 6% because that was 6% interest that they would not longer have to pay. So we want to be really conscious of not letting ourselves get too frustrated or lose patience when it comes to sitting on bigger cash reserves. That's a really big one that I think you need to take into consideration right now. The next one is avoiding speculative assets. I call those gambles. Now you could argue that all investing is calculated risk. One of the things that I've talked a lot about inside of Freedom Warrior is how many successful high net worth families, they rarely speculate. They will often wait years for the right investments to turn up. So in periods of uncertainty, what we want to make sure of is that we avoid chance investments. Things like buying an asset and hoping that it will grow in value in the near term, I would put that squarely in speculation. Buying asset that you are looking to renovate and flip back into the market for a profit, I would also put that into speculate. So there's no shortage of speculative investments right now. Buying shares that you think are discounted that will go up in the future. That is a speculation. And all of that is fine, provided you recognize the element of speculation. So me right now, I am avoiding speculative assets. I want assets that are just really boring, bread and butter performing today that will give me the outcome that I want. The flip side to that is that if you are staying out of the market because you are waiting for better prices or if you are staying out of the market, let's say this is even your first investment. Property that you are thinking about buying, or your first piece of real estate, and you're saying to yourself, "I don't want to buy right now because I think prices will come down, or I want to wait till interest rate comes down." Let me tell you what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait is that as things improve, everybody else jumps in too. So if you don't mind fist fighting for the good deals when everybody else is trying to get into them, then go ahead and wait. Avoiding speculation and avoiding entering the market simply because you're waiting for better conditions are two slightly different things. The th- Third key that I want to share is this idea of reducing high leverage. Now, nobody wants to sell a good asset just because times are tough or market conditions are tough. But one of the things that you have to keep on understanding is the trade-off between your sleep at night factor and greed. Often what I have seen investors do in a bid to hold on to really uh, lucrative assets is they sink the whole ship. They hang on to it. They can't afford it. uh, The bank has to take it and then they have to take everything else as well. I think you are better off accepting a lower price on the sale of an asset in order to de-risk your situation. Then you are being leveraged up to the hilt and hoping that you'll survive the, the storm ahead. A fairly obvious one, but I just wanted to really drive that one home. The next one is offloading investments that don't serve you. There's a big difference between holding a portfolio of high performing assets and just really cringing at the idea of having to sell anything. There is a completely different perspective on offloading investments that are not performing or not serving. Sunk cost fallacy is something that a lot of investors are guilty of meaning they just go well I've had it so long I've put so much money into it I can't possibly take a hit I cannot take a loss but you got to understand that you know loss is inevitable for most investors it's part of the game and so as long as you can reconcile that loss is natural and it's going to give you a bigger sleep at night factor again I keep coming back to that then offloading poorly performing investments even if you incur a loss could actually be the right move if you want to reduce Reduce risk overall. The next key is not to rely on capital growth. There are a lot of investors that I'm speaking to right now who are trying to grow their net worth. Their whole strategy is well, if my net worth were just even 5% more, then I would achieve X, Y, and Z. And so this is a time, I think, to be evaluating your strategy and looking at a worst case scenario. What if your portfolio were to shrink in value over the next two years? Could you sustain that? If your entire relying on a on a growing market to give you capital growth, you're going to be either frustrated, disappointed, angry, hurt or devastated. So what we want to find ourselves doing over time is shifting to a position where, yes, net worth is great and any growth in assets is wonderful. But right now, we don't want to be entering or hanging on to assets with an attitude of this has to go up now. These are all slightly intertwined reasons I recognize, but I want to pull these out as separate aspects of how you're going to thrive in a downward market. The next thing I'm going to say, and this is, again, it might seem like an obvious one, is focus on increasing cash flow. So if you run a business, if there's opportunities to access better cash flow, double down on that. If you hold investment where potentially, or you're taking on new investments where potentially there are opportunities to harvest more cash, maybe you're compromising on growth to do that, then I think this is a good time to be swinging your focus in that direction. Now, in all of this stuff, I'm not saying take radical action. I'm really talking about looking holistically at your investing portfolio and trying to identify opportunities to create more breathing space, more sleep at night factor, more peace of mind. And so then that brings me to the last point, which is clear short term debt. I am completely gobsmacked at the number of people who are paying penalty interest on credit cards, who are paying penalty interest on furniture purchases on all of the the free credit that comes your way but then once you kind of form into any kind of default then you're suddenly stung with outrageous penalties and interest if you are in a position to clear those debts and just get them off your books i would say now is a really good time to be thinking about that and i would certainly be looking at that before actually looking to grow your wealth through more assets again during a difficult period of time during a recession during a downturn sometimes it can be those simple credit card debts those simple furniture debt tech, uh, leases things like that that can actually cause havoc and damage our wealth position almost like if I was going to come up with a metaphor they're like splinters they start off as just slightly annoying and then they go septic so clearing short-term debt is another really important one I really think that we need to be thinking as investors about how to be more defensive as I said in many other podcasts in today's world, recessions are no longer a question of if, but when. If you believe that conditions are compounding right now now into very negative territory, I would share that sentiment. And so what I want to arm you with is insights into where playing a more defensive game should completely outweigh the greedy mind in terms of trying to grow your net worth. If you want to really navigate against the tide, against the kind of the emotion that's it's in the market right now, then I would highly recommend that you look at your portfolio with a critical eye and take any necessary action to bring. If you are really interested in how are you going to get through the next recession with as little harm as possible, then unfortunately, you need to make some big decisions now to protect against the downturn. See you guys next time. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.